Hello and welcome to the Fellowship Phase, an Adventures in Middle-Earth podcast. I'm Josh and that's Callum. We're going to give you inside information on how to find your own path through Tolkien's world. When the realm of Arnor ended long ago, the Dúnedain of the North did not abandon their struggle against the enemy, but passed into the shadows and out of the history of most men and elves. Severely diminished in number, they became a secret people, wandering in disguise amongst crumbling walls and ruined towers. For almost a thousand years they dwelt in these hidden places, in lonely woods and silent hills, but they never ceased to keep watch over the borders of their former kingdom as the Rangers of the North. Hello, Callum. Hello, Brendan. <laughs> Hello, Callum and Josh. Nice to be here. Welcome, welcome. Um, it's good to see you both. Are you both well? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Callum, yours is far from enthusiastic. Are you excited to do the podcast? Yes. I feel like I'm a, the MC at some kind of stand-up gig or something. <laughs> we um, can't hear you. I'll just turn the gain up on my microphone. Uh, while I'm doing the preamble as the MC, I have to shout out to Stuart, who's one of our previous guests and one of our players, who has very kindly acquired for me a copy of the Adventures of Middle-Earth Player's Guide, which, as I've mentioned before, I didn't have in physical form. I only had a PDF of it, which was not the easiest to navigate. So, Stuart, thank you very much. It's here. It will be a reference. And I feel... This is the way forward in life now, having these these physical books that I can read. I think it will really catch on. Yeah, I, yeah, I've got a photo of Josh receiving said book, and he looked ecstatic. I'm ecstatic. I just felt I had to shout that out and say that. Why do we talk about why we're here? Brendan is one of our, our, our play, one of your players, Callan, one of our companions, one of the uh, players, one of the, the players. Um, what are we here to talk about? Drum roll. Well, we've invited Brendan on to talk about Harefruit. We can't use his real name uh, because it's a secret. Or maybe we can. What was your character's real name? Harefruit. My character's, code my name. character's real name is, is Malbeth. Uh, but he goes by a, a pseudonym because of his, uh, his background of being hunted by the enemy. And, and how would you say that we, as other players, have been about sticking to the pseudonym and not just calling you Malbeth the entire time? Absolutely awful. <laughs> and, uh, even within a single kind of conversation, it switches back and forth hundreds, of, <clears throat> hundreds of times. Probably shouldn't shouldn't have just uh, told you my real name in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> If you can't trust a man in Middle Earth, then where, where can you trust him? Hey ho. So, Malbeth, uh, a Dunedain wanderer. We can run through class creation and some of the sort of inspiration for the character. And then I think both Cal and I have got lots of questions about your experience within the game, your experience within a party that has another wanderer. And as you already know, we're mad keen on the journey rules and the wanderer class anyway. So there's lots to talk about we can get stuck in. Callum, how shall we kick off? Well, I thought we'd kick off just having a little bit of a dive into the Dunedain 
culture and the culture of which is associated with it because um it would form an underpinning to then bounce into Malbeth as a as a character and how he came about so um what brendan inspired you what made you choose to play as a dunedain from the get-go when you made this character who was your who's been your character throughout the, the game uh so far so I really like the the kind of lore of Arnor um, as this kind of fallen kingdom with the, the remnants of the, the Dunedain living there. I always think thought that was really captivating. And obviously there's elements of it that kind of are woven through mainly Lord of the Rings, but a little bit touches on kind of the the, the Shire and the Hobbit kind of area. Um, I just thought that the, the kind of the lore there is really captivating and it really encapsulates for me the idea of what a wanderer is. I mean, I think that the, the character of Strider in The Lord of the Rings is, is almost the archetype of what a wanderer is. Absolutely. And the I think having that background of the, you know, the mystery and the intrigue behind the dour and um, rugged exterior you know, that elegance and and kingly ship that Aragon has, which is hidden by the rough exterior, you know, that that gem in the rough sort of uh, character trope. Um, did that inspire you at all, creating Malbeth? I mean, I think you've got to, you've got to engage with that on some level uh, for a Dunedain character. I mean, the, the kind of the theme is obviously that the Dunedain are former lords of Arnor, they're all from this kind of slightly rarefied background. So you've got to find, think, I think it's important to think about how your character fits into that kind of legacy. And that's kind of a key part of doing the, the characters. I suppose it's, it's both a good thing and a bad thing, because I think that it can, can make and for an interesting character backstory, but it also means that you're probably maybe a little bit more limited in what the character's backstory can be compared to, to someone from one of the more urban settings like, you know, Dale or something like that, where you could be from any class of society. Hmm. Kind of picking from a smaller pool of characters, really, isn't it? Even though they're fictional and ima imagined characters, the pool of people you realistically could be is not gigantic. Was was the starting point for you that you wanted to be a Dunedain or was it you wanted to be a ranger? Which way round? They do naturally fit together, I think. Which way round did you come at that? Definitely Dunedain first. I kind of, it was that, um, I like I said, I, I really like the lore element of it and it was going to the, the lore and then looking at what I wanted, the, the way I wanted the character to play and then looking at a class that kind of matched up with that. Hmm. Um, and so the Dunedain traits is pretty powerful. You get an increase in wisdom and constitution by one, and you get an additional two ability scores to increase by one. And so you you I think you you get more ability score improvements than some of the other um cultures. Is that right? It is. Um I know because actually we recently played uh, a one shot, a couple of us, and I played as a Dunedain. So it was the first time I'd used them mechanically speaking. And yes, they get three ability points at the beginning, but 
and I discovered this because making a one-shot character, I wanted to. Is it not four wisdom by one constitution? Wisdom by two. Sorry. Okay. Four. Yes. Four. You're completely right. Four. Um, but um, none of them go up by two. Um, so you are more powerful, but you—it's harder. And I found this making a character for one shot, where I really wanted to focus on one thing. You can't bump two points at the beginning into one thing, uh, which I thought was interesting that they are. And this is something Stuart spoke about with with Wanderers, kind of good across the board. They, mm-hmm. you know, someone who could survive on their own. Yeah, they, um, the one shot was quite high level, and uh, I don't know what my point was there. We've forgotten. Um, no, oh yeah, we, we, I was going to say I tend to go for point by when I'm running a game because it doesn't get into like issues with um, you know rolling ability scores, um, mm. and I just can't, can't. There's too many other things to think about. I can't get into that. So. Uh, but I know that Josh is much more of a fan of rolling for ability scores because there's a lot more drama in that. And yes. I can understand why, but uh, um, so the Dunedain, uh, they're a bit older. So 18 to 60 is their suggested adventuring age, which is uh, interesting. I think it gives you the idea to maybe, you know, we were saying limited character options, but I guess you can play as that older character. You did that sort of thing with Theodric. Um Josh, um, but I guess you know you could play as an older Dunedain who's still very much in their prime. Understanding and certainly, I mean, Aragorn is obviously spoilers for the book, quite old. Um, is spoilers that a trait the- that's <laughs> spoilers for the book? In case you've not read Lord of the Rings, but is that a trait that's true across the board for Dunedain? Would Dunedain live longer than other men? Can I in, interject my my Please. recollection of the lore? Although I'm always happy to be corrected about this because uh, you know I'm sure someone's got a more in depth answer. Is that Dunedain as a rule are more long lived? I think about twice as long lived as normal men. Uh, but Aragorn, being of kingly stock, is even more so. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be like a a g- genetic thing. It seems to just be a how well they envisage and uh, embody the ethos of being a Dundine sometimes. Because Aragorn, you know, lives a lot longer than his ancestors have. Although I guess father and grandfather both uh, died quite young and uh, in unfortunate circumstances. So, (laughs) yes, and you're generally quite tall. You get proficiency in history and also in survival. You can speak Cinder and and Westron and you get one cultural virtue to start. So not only do you get four ability score improvements, but you also get a cultural virtue, which is really exciting. Yeah, it's really powerful. It is very cool. And maybe that's a, a sign to segue into the cultural virtues. Yeah, it sounds good to me. So, Brendan, what did you start off with? What was your starting cultural virtue for Malbeth? That's an excellent question, Callum. Oh, yeah, my initial cultural virtue was sterner than steel. Oh, yeah. So... It, essentially, what this virtue is, is that you gain resistance to corruption, you increase your wisdom by one point, and get advantage on wisdom saving throws against corruption. Wow. Which is um, really interesting when we talk about some moments of Malmuth later on, and actually was quite severely affected by corruption at, at one point. Um, although mm. I think any character in that situation would have would have had a hard time resisting. Um Sterner than steel. So yeah, that's um why did you choose that one initially? I suppose that that um the kind of the the essence of the Dunedain is not just about the 
kind of physical ability, but about that kind of resilience. The idea that they, um, there's the, I'm, I'm going to make a hash of it, but there's a, a line in, um, a kind of a throwaway line that Aragorn makes in The Lord of the Rings about what it is that the Dunedain do. And he's in Bree and everyone's been quite scathing of the rangers. And he, he gives a throwaway line to Barlaman uh, about how the the rangers are out in the wild protecting protecting people against things that they wouldn't imagine in their nightmares. That the idea that the key element of the Dunedain is 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 actually directly facing the shadow, and that's kind of part of the the raison d'être of them. So I felt that that was quite important to to kind of convey a sense of just being that a little bit more resilient in the face of of evil and darkness. Didn't pan out like that, but that was the idea. <laughs> he did resist it a lot. It's just that things events <laughs> unfurled in a way that. Um, were really problematic. Did you take any other of the uh, Dunedain cultural virtues as things went along? Yeah, I, I took loads, actually. Uh, whenever we had the opportunity to take uh, virtue of any kind, I always went for a Dunedain cultural virtue because I think that they're all very, they're all very thematic. So I'll, there's only one of the cultural virtues that I didn't take. Wow. Okay, so do you want to talk us through? I don't know if you remember which order you took them in, or just any order you choose, like yeah, uh, what they did and um, uh, why you took them, or what you thought the the idea of them was. Yeah, so the the second one that I took was royalty revealed. Um, so this is a, a, a quite an interesting one. Essentially, that you you use a bonus action to reveal your your royal heritage as a member of the, the Dunedain in battle. And then all allies get a hit point boost, 1d6 plus your charisma modifier. And um, all enemies within 10 feet have to make a wisdom saving throw or become frightened. Um, so it's quite good. It's also got a, a kind of a social encounter um which i have to say ended up coming up less often for for melbeth but uh, yeah i think it was it's interesting because i suppose it's um well it really came into to kind of the character at the point where uh he ended up with a kind of a, a relic sword a relic sword of numenor and the connection was really with the two the, the relic sword had uh, an additional ability. I, I don't know if you want me to to spoil it now. I'll go for it, yeah. That if you said uh, a few words in um, kind of the ancient Numenorean language, it would glow bright white. And so we, I'd kind of worked out as a as a combo of this this revealing the the kind of Dunedain ancestry of Malbeth. So that would be as I think I ended up doing it about three times or something over the course of our campaign, but as a his signature move when times were tough was to try and rally them all with this uh, battle cry and uh, terrifying the enemies nearby. He was a real character for like really bad moments and either turning up unexpected or being right in the thick of it and these really clutch moments. And I guess that's part of like the rules, you know, I guess normal D&D, you know, you've got your short rest or long rest recurring things. And because long rests are easy to come by, there's not many abilities that characters have that feel special 
don't know how you go feel about this, but it's a b- bold claim. Well, like you know, as a <laughs> warlock, you've got many spell slots, but then you just fire off and you just short rest. I, I but... actually understand what you mean. I think yeah. in I think the the realism of if that's the right word for it of of the resting rules in this mean you you use your abilities less and you save them much longer. And I think because of that, you only deploy them at like a moment where it's crucial. And it it lends itself then to having these really like backs against the wall, finally activate your ability, turn the tide kind of moment, which is really exciting. Yeah. I think it is. I think when we were when we were doing our I don't know if you've uh, you've covered it yet, but when we we're doing our logs long slog through um Mount Gundabad. Mount Gundabad, yeah. Um it was always a question of, is this particular disaster in the middle of a bad enough disaster to use this this type of ability? But I think there was there's there was something slightly chicken and egg about it because after this, um, after this ability kind of came into Malbeth's armory, it was around about the time when I stopped being able to play quite as often as before, and Malbeth started being a character who would who would come and go quite a lot. And often, Callum would tip me off a week or two in advance saying, oh, there's going to be a really, really critical game. Things are going really badly wrong for everyone. Do you want to come along? And and so, you know, I would appear and we really, we really played it the first couple of times. Like, you know, Callum would start the game and, uh, you know, seven or whenever. And I would be on WhatsApp and Callum would be like, yeah, you join now so that everyone would be surprised. And then, so that Malbeth's role kind of gradually evolved from being a, a kind of a regular member of the party to the guy who shows up when everything's going wrong. And so the abilities started to change to, to kind of match that. I love those moments. I think those are some of my favorite moments to the point where it was like everyone knew it was coming sometimes because it was like, things are really bad. Where's Malbeth? <laughs> you know? The funny thing is, to an extent, there was a like, oh, look, Malbeth's here at the last minute to save the day, which sometimes is what it felt like. What it also felt like, though, was that you brought trouble with you that often, mm. I think as a character, uh, my, my various characters I've played felt like, we're only in this much trouble when Malbeth is here. Like the Malbeth, it follows Malbeth to us rather than you coming to save the day. So I don't think it was too much like Deus Ex Machina, you coming in to save the day. I think sometimes we thought, oh no, here we go again. <laughs> ill news is an ill guest, as they say. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. Uh, so that was royalty revealed. Uh, what was another virtual that you took? Um, so the next one I'd taken was uh, the Dauntless Guardians. Uh, so the first, so this, this one is an interesting one because it's got three phases and the idea is that you expand it over fellowship phases. The first phase is see the unseen. So it's about to see seeing ghosts and spirits. Um, so you essentially, obviously in, in kind of Tolkienian lore, there's the, the world of the seen, the everyday and the world of the unseen with wraiths and you know all sorts and um, so the first element is being able to see beyond kind of the world of the sea um which was a bit niche but i think that i was kind of moving towards that as as something which malbeth was obviously 
when I'd created Malbeth, his known lands had been the Ang, based around Angmar and that kind of very much haunted, shade infested. And it was really to try and lean more into that element of the character, you know, to, to kind of, again, the idea of being someone who, who doesn't just stand against kind of ordinary um, evil, but, you know, the, the kind of the shadow itself. Mm. And I guess, did you have your eye, because I, I think you probably did, but in terms of, you know, so Mal- Malbus, like motivation for, for being out adventuring, you know, there's this whole thing, the lore about Dunedain going off and doing some travel, like Aragorn go- goes off and does some travels. And I think that's talked about in that, you know, the Dunedain will go off and travel for a while to gain some experience and then come back and, and serve. And so did you just sort of an eye on the future as well with Malbeth? these abilities like what's actually going to serve him well when he goes back to his job yeah yeah uh there is a bit of that i think you know that you're right that i i did from the very start have an idea that, that he was coming to wilderland you know in a phase of kind of wandering in order to prepare for for being a a ranger ranger so yeah so it was with kind of with a view to that also, I just, part of me did, did just think it was quite cool to be able yes. to, to see ghosts and spirits and things. So you get to see ghosts and you can make an intelligence lower ability check to get additional information. Um, and then the second level, did you did you get to the second and third level or not? Well, yes and no. Basically, within the scope of our campaign, no. But um, something happened at the very end, and I'm not going to say it at the moment because I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to it later when we get to the end of the character's arc, where we kind of said, yeah, 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 I've got level two and three now. But it was, um, so not really, but uh, kind of. But he was heading in that direction. He was heading in that direction. That was his his aim overall. Hey, that's that's the name of the game. Oh, no, sorry. (laughs) Well, we can come back to those abilities when we talk about them at the end. Um, So the next one in the book is Endurance of the Dunedain. So that was the last one that it, oh, uh, wow, this one. I'm just this right when this and one came up. This one, I so what it what it is, is that it's basically the idea is that you're not just kind of determined, but you're also physically hardy. So if you are effective, you're reduced to zero hit points. So long as you're not outright killed, you know. Um you can spend inspiration to stabilize yourself and continue to act normally, which is, you know, it is really cool, is really thematic and and kind of, again, one of those things which, you know, if you're facing dire odds is really useful. In the game, though, um, I waited so long to use it because it's kind of very much a sort of a, a last, last gasp. And it did mean that I spent ages sitting on a point of, inspira- on kind of inspiration <laughs> because I, was, I, I the, just the thought in my mind was I could spend it to make this attack roll go off. But what <laughs> if I die? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just remembering that there was a point where we were in Gundabad and I think everybody was less than 20 hit points. And Malbeth was on, was Malbeth on zero? Someone was on zero for quite a long time. Malbeth did go down to zero, yeah. So that happened in the um, almost 
just before the very end, the very kind of yeah. climax. It was and, in, and then I think Runin was on two, Halmir was on like five. <laughs> it was just, and it wasn't like I wasn't going easy on people. Like I wasn't not targeting people because they had low hit points. No, um, you certainly won't. Because absolutely. You <laughs> I didn't want anyone to die, but I was just like, well, you know. And I hadn't told you about the ability. So I think that, uh, I mean, <laughs> you could have read it off my character sheet, but I am, um, I'm not sure that it was you giving me an opportunity to, to use the ability so much as it was you doling out attacks. Yeah. You just, <laughs> you just pop back and I was like, wow, <laughs> I have to admit, like, I don't, I, I, you know, there's a lot to think about when you're running the game and preparing for it. So I don't keep a complete oversight on everyone's abilities, which does mean that sometimes we've forgotten to use things and, uh, you know, people haven't um, uh, always had the benefit of their abilities, but uh, I like it when someone surprises me with something that's awesome. So next we've got Foresight of the Kindred. Is this the one that you didn't take? This is the only one that I, I didn't take. Although in the one shot we played recently, this is the virtue that I did take. Oh, well, maybe Josh um, can talk about it. So Foresight of the Kindred. Some Dunedain still have the power of their ancestors in their blood, um, in their heritage. And as part of that can catch glimpses of the future in dreams and visions. The ability mechanically, you upgrade your wisdom score by one. And once every adventuring phase, you may invoke your power of foresight by spending inspiration. Uh, and when you do, the lore master should give you a relevant piece of information about something that might or will happen in that adventuring phase looking ahead. Um, the, the rules suggest you won't see exactly what's likely to happen, um, but you might get like a clear image of a place or someone you can trust or can't trust. Um, if there isn't information available, or in other words, if the lawmaster doesn't have or would prefer not to give you some information, you can instead basically uh, choose to automatically succeed an attack roll, saving throw, or ability check at some point on the adventure. Mm. It's pretty cool. It's very cool. Mm -hmm. That is I, cool. I did feel like, so Malbeth the Seer is a character from the fall of Ar Arfidain, one of the last kingdoms of Arnor. And I did wonder if, uh, Brendan, you like ever thought about taking this as like a an ode to Malbeth the Seer, or was that something... It doesn't really fit in the vision of the character, I guess. No, no, not really. Sorry. That's fine. Uh, so, and then the, that's all the cultural virtues. I was going to say the that's final, all but that's all of them. Yeah, that's it. The, what, so overall, Dunedain cultural virtues, yay or nay? I think they're very powerful, very thematic. Yeah, well, I, I, I took all but one of them. What can I say? Yeah. Hoarding them. Um, so that's the cultural virtues and the culture. So maybe we can talk a bit about Malbeth's class as a wanderer. So um, we, uh, I think we talked briefly on episode earlier on about the fact that, that we had two wanderers in the party and Josh was saying that it never really felt that they overlapped in role too much. And then uh, after we talked about that, I realised that Brendan and I had done some discussion on Malbeth to try and avoid that eventuality. And I was wondering if we can... Uh, just hark back to those discussions and what what we did and decided to to make them feel special and and different and what advice we might give to to others um, playing with multiple the same class in a party. Well, so we'd had two wanderers in from the beginning, and you know it it worked fairly well. Um, 
you could kind of one would take the the kind of the guide role on journeys and someone and the other would fill a different role and it would work pretty well i think you know they're both kind of decent combat characters as you say the, the wanderer class is quite well rounded so they're both useful I think when I noticed things starting to overlap between mine and Runin's character was when we got to that kind of specialization uh, kind of field. There's only two for, for Wanderer. There's, I think it's Hunter of Beasts and Hunter of Shadows, I think, are the two. Yeah. Basically, we'd both gone for the shadow option, which made pretty, pretty good sense, I think, for both characters thematically. But it started to be that we were both getting the same bonuses. Um, and, you know, Runin is a very different character to Melbeth. So there wasn't, in social situations, we were quite differentiated, but it was starting to be that we were, you know, we both had the same abilities. And with things, with some of the ranger abilities, like Rumor of the Earth, uh, which is the ability where you listen to the ground to try and hear what's going on yeah. we do we just ended up doing it at the same time and helping it <laughs> which you know was all right but it um i suppose that i i just I, I started thinking about the idea that we should maybe try and do something to differentiate melbeth from uh, from ruining a bit more yeah and then we moved into that phase where, where I wasn't able to, to kind of join every session. So Malbeth was kind of coming and going a bit more. And we had this, it ended up in this situation where Malbeth would, would often come when the others were in need of, of help, essentially, to, to try and kind of protect them or whatever it was. And so I'd started thinking about kind of different ways of doing that. And I'd been looking at the different class options that I'd been thinking about when I'd made Melbeth and I'd been looking at, but what we ended up doing was we ended up not multi-classing Melbeth, but rather we used one of the class specializations from another class and adapting it to Melbeth. So Melbeth became a wanderer with the bounder specialization from Warden. It's interesting. I was not aware of this at all. This behind the behind the scenes jiggery pokery that had gone on. So it meant I had to drop lots of really really nice damage bonuses, which come came with the Hunter of Evil. So that that was annoying. But the abilities for the Bender um, is it's all about you know so you're protecting people walking the edge of the wild, which is very on theme for being a ranger. But the in kind of early abilities are guardian. So when a creature you see attacks a target within five feet of you, you can use your reaction to impose disadvantage on the attack roll. Uh, and at seventh level, ceaseless guard. So you can use your action to interpose yourself in front of an attack made for another person. Hmm. You need to make a, a dexterity saving throw. So because Malbeth's kind of character had kind of had become more of this trying to protect the others, that they felt quite natural. How did, did you notice that you didn't notice that as another player, Brendan? Josh? Josh, I, I as another Josh. player, did not re particularly recognise um, 
maybe I consciously did not recognize the different abilities, but then maybe partly that's down to how we play. I don't know how much mm. we're often like, you know, explicitly stating the rules as we yes, do them. That's true. And character wise, Runin and Malbeth felt so different anyway that it didn't like they just seemed as very different people doing different things. So now I think about it, I suppose yes, actually there were times where you were doing quite distinctly different things. And some of those abilities actually happened as some of my favorite Malbeth moments, which I think we'll wrap up with when we, we come to a close. Um and I just hadn't really been aware that they were things that you had mm. slightly homebrewed as being part of, of Malbeth's development. So I think that worked really well. Certainly as as a another adventurer watching Malbeth, I think it worked well. Do you, did you feel it worked well for you getting a unique experience? I think it worked really well. Um, I think that it, it kind of, it, it was really good in terms of developing the character in, in a way that felt like the direction that the character was going. Um, but I think, well, I'm quite pleased in a way, Josh, that you didn't notice because it, it means that it fit in well with the way that the character was behaving generally. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's, so that was kind of what I was, what I was hoping for out of it. So that's really good. I think it's, there is a little more limitation if we compare to fifth edition with D&D, which is what we usually compare to just the number of, there's more classes and there's far, far more subclasses. So, you know, there's lots of mix and matching, multi-classing is more common, there's more feats, there's so many more options. So in AIM, you know, you're, you're presented this limited pool and that can be a bit of a constraint, but I think because there's so much more, like control in the role playing and it's not these huge spells or effects that you can do that even small differences can come out as being large differences. And also because the backgrounds and the, the cultures and the cultural virtues are so thematic that, you know, you can have, you know, we, we did the Adunadine one shot recently and although there was only two uh, characters, you know, you can have very similar um, rules, but still manage to feel like distinct characters but sometimes you know i guess feeling free to to homebrew and come up with new ideas and adjust things is, is fine as well i keep thinking like oh could we bring in some like dnd fifth edition rules but i'm always a bit reluctant because i think there is if it's something that's in aim already then i'm like well it's going to be balanced or mostly will be balanced some of the things i feel a bit unbalanced sometimes which we'll come on to when we talk about warriors but uh the uh, in general <laughs> i think you know, bringing in stuff like Battlemaster from 5th edition, which we've talked about, Josh. Um, you know, I just worry, like, is that going to break the game balance? I don't know. I mean, I think that's a, a huge thing. And I think that when we were talking about this, we spent a long time talking about, you know, the balance of it. And because I think that whenever you have a character, you want them to have limitations as well as strengths. Yes, and I think that, that the character is as much about what people can't or won't or aren't able to do as it is about what they are able to do. Yeah. And really yeah, you, aggressively nodding along. Yes. It's <laughs> so true that, you you know, you kind of have to have failings and because uh, otherwise you're just like, I do the thing and there's no challenge. So that's so true. And, um, and so we, when we were doing this, you know, that we, we thought for a while about whether it was the right thing to do, but also about whether it would affect the, the relative power of, of Malbeth. 
And I, I think ultimately, uh, I, we kind of decided that it wouldn't, but it, obviously whenever you, you kind of change the rules like this. So for example, the ceaseless guard involves using the warden's gift dice, which is obviously a warden feature. So we needed to spend a while thinking about how we we're going to adapt that to a wanderer. And we ended up saying when you're in your known lands, you can do it. So it's got a similar restriction on it. But making sure that those restrictions are balanced is tricky because the classes work very diff di um, differently to each other. Yeah, it was quite fun. And I guess um, we'll have Brendan on in a future episode because uh, Brendan is the other player who has run a game of Adventures in Middle-earth as Loremaster. And so uh, I think homebrewing and coming up with ideas is uh, a place that you're very comfortable in. So um, segue into that. Uh, I love homebrewing. Um, yeah. Oh, very happy <laughs> um, to talk about that. Just while we're on this, I wonder, this is something Callum, you and I were talking about the other day, is that there's a new edition, a new edition, easy for me to say, of AIM on the horizon. I think we're expecting news reasonably soon of it. And we've been talking a bit about which elements of the game freely you now have the, the rights would be kind of expanding on because a lot of the rules I don't particularly think need refreshed. I wondered if this is the area that might expand on actually adding in new subclasses, uh, potentially a couple of new classes and new cultures, uh, almost expanding sort of sideways. It feels like there's a lot of good stuff in the game already, but I would agree, having made a couple of characters now, if there was scope for some more official material for subclasses, I think that would be really good ground to cover. I would love that. That's what I wanted to be. I don't know how it's working in terms of like what of the previous material they have access to. I know some of the same designers are still involved. So that's right, isn't it? It's the same main guy. So, you know, um, I hope that it is an expansion and like they are recognized that that a lot of people really like first edition so not to just bin it all and bring out some stuff that that can add to and and supplement rather than wholly replace but you know really excited to find out so um so that's the background to the next edition what about the background from malbeth oh well played that was seamless uh, i really enjoyed that um so the background from malbeth is is interesting. So, um, I mean, as I said, there's four Dunedain characters. There's sort of a, an overarching kind of similarity to, to where everyone's coming from. I think what, what is probably interesting about the background is that it did come up in the early part of our campaign, but then it didn't really come up much after that. Um, and that the, the background for Malbeth was uh, hunted by the shadow. And essentially the, the kind of overarching idea was that Malbeth's choice to wander into Wilderland was not just about wandering and gaining experience, but the particular choice of going there was because Eriador was too dangerous place to, to wander in. Uh, and the idea was that Malbeth's family particularly had been marked by a, a pack of wargs uh, and led by a werewolf in Eriador. And so fleeing to Wilderland for this wandering phase 
was was as much about getting away from that. And we had a really interesting part of the campaign really early on where we were attacked by a load of wargs mm. and a werewolf. It was a great moment. It was a great moment. But then we got caught up in adventures in Wilderland and we didn't really come back to it. So I think that that is probably the, the one thing that's, that, you know, if I was making Malbeth again, I think that, well, I think both that and beyond wanting to, to kind of wander and develop in Wilderland, Malbeth didn't have any particular goals to achieve there. And I think the combination that Malbeth's character background, I think, might have worked better in a story set in Eriador than in Wilderland, as in it would have come up and been more relevant. And I think that looking back, maybe, maybe, Callum, you and I should have talked more about how that was going to fit into the narrative. Yeah, it's, it's funny because now we talk about all the characters in the background and, like, you know, the same with Ruinen and with Theodric, is that, like, I was just like, make a character, join the game. And, I, you know, I really didn't think anything about it. I was just like, this is the adventures I'm running. And it was very much at the beginning. And I think a lot of new DMs will be like, this is, you know, here's a story, play it. Um, rather than that collaborative, you know, okay, get some stuff. From the, and it's so different now when I run, that someone's bringing a new character, I very much try to have a sit down with them, almost like a session zero for that character and figure out where they fit in the world. Who do they know? What information do they have? What are their goals? How am I going to tie that into existing uh, campaigns? Which, you know, you see done so incredibly well in Critical Role that it's, you know, they make it look easy, but it is quite bit of work and and thought that needs to go into that um so yeah sometimes i did feel like um you know there was some characters stories that were at the forefront and then there was other characters that were playing more of the supporting role um but and then i think mal before over time we developed and we came up with some ways to sort of bring you back into the into the narrative of the camp the story yeah we did so we um there was a, a i can i have to say it was a moment of inspiration on your part that um, maybe two thirds, three quarters of the way into the campaign, we, we kind of sat down and you said, I've had this brilliant idea for Malbeth. Malbeth has been given a prophecy by Elrond and you're going to try and get them all back to Rivendell. I wanted to go to Rivendell so much. <laughs> and I wanted to go to Rivendell so much. It, I, I mean, it wasn't, you know, totally selfless because... It was my, again, what would I have done differently about Malbeth? Malbeth's known lands were all in Eriador to begin with. So he was not a particularly <laughs> useful wanderer at the beginning. It improved over time, but um, the opportunity to actually use those known lands, which Malbeth had had on his character sheet since game one, but doing nothing. Oh, I was looking forward to getting to, to Angmar so much. Yes, and you're actually so much, there was this last like ditch run from Gundabad to Rivendell, um, which is one of those moments where like, I kind of knew that I wanted you to go to Rivendell and how much railroading to do and how much gentle prodding and having some player allies essentially to, to sort of guide the party there. And Malbeth got to use his spirit abilities. He got to use his resistance to corruption. He got to use his uh, wanderer archetypes, his his Dunedain alliances, his Elven. You know, it was it was really like a you know because I guess Malbeth is um, should we say that 
Babif's re- retiring from the party and mm-hmm. it did feel like a last hurrah like here's here's all the skills I've learned and this is how amazing I am and was really integral to nobody dying when basically nobody had any hit points at that point and they were going through very dangerous land I am um, I, um, I, I one of my um, one of the moments that I really enjoyed was when we came through Gundabad and we were kind of standing on this ledge overlooking Angmar it was the end of a session, and I, Callum, in probably what was a bad lore mastering move, so I, I apologise for this, Callum, you said you kind of had given me a little bit of space to, to say, to introduce people to where they were going. And I, you took the opportunity to go, Mount Good and Bad was really bad. This is also going to be awful. <laughs> it's horrible. It's full of ghosts. Stick with me. It's incredibly dangerous. And I i mean, I don't know if that's what you're expecting, Callum. The look on your face did look a little bit like a story about ghosts now. I wasn't planning. <laughs> oh, man. So, as, uh, a player, as a player, can I just say, as a player, that moment was terrifying because Gundabad <laughs> was nails and we escaped. And I was like, yeah, we've got out the mountain. We'll be fine. Like, we'll just wander down into you know, the green foothills. And then you, our most you know, trusted guide and ally, being like, yeah, this is going to be hell on earth. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm not ready for this. I think it was pretty bad as well. It was. So bad. But Malbeth got them through it. And like, yeah, there was definitely moments where if you hadn't had those cultural virtues and all those skills you'd gained over the campaign, mm. you know, it would have been much, much worse. People would have died. Uh, so Hunter by Shadow gives you proficiency in stealth and survival. And um, it means that you may count some of the most notable figures of Middle Earth amongst your um, friends. Um, but both, most people will go out of their way to help you because they recognize that you're someone who's hunted. Um, it's, yeah, it's a really um, intriguing one. I, I do wish that we, we brought in, I do have an idea in my head because uh, the name of the werewolf that was hiding you was not Nagro, wasn't it? So I was thinking at one point running a, a one shot with Malbeth uh, oh. as an NPC and uh, uh, the the hunt for Nagro and uh, finally hunting him down a big, you know, a sort of like a, um, Similar to the one shot you ran for us one time, Josh and D and D, which was uh, oh, Monster yeah. Hunter style. Witcher style, yeah. Yeah, so do that, but in a name, um, but maybe have some twists. Be, on the way. I think that'd, that'd be, be quite really cool. good fun. And Malbus had been been an NPC already in that one shot. He was uh, uh, someone that everybody knew. So that was very cool. Incidentally, uh, I just as an aside to pull out doing the the Dune Design one shot. It was just me and Stuart as players, and Callum ran it. Um, which I must say was really fun dynamic having a small party like we got to do loads um, but it was as part of it it was mentioned that both of us knew Malbeth and Runin's character had actually spoken to Malbeth about the particular quest that were going on and it this was set later on from our story it just again felt very grounded in Tolkien's world and then the additional layer of the world that Callum's kind of added to it just that Malbeth was someone who could just give advice to another adventurer. I loved it. It was a really yeah. good reference. Yeah, and it was about ghosts. It was, the it was about ghosts. <laughs> it was about the barrel whites. Um, yeah, it was quite good. We'll talk about that one shot. It was the first time we'd played in person and uh, um, after two and a half years, and it was brilliant. But uh, I think that would be a good little episode to do at some point. So we've talked about the background of Malbeth and um, what, so with have written story. So uh, what... What do so I suppose we kind of started talking about Malmuth's 
Yeah. Sorry, I wondered if you're thinking about kind of the Malbeth's arc within the campaign. Yeah, maybe you could just take us through the arc that Malbeth underwent. Like, what was the development? Yeah. So Malbeth was a was a late addition to the party. So you'd done your in kind of first adventure through Mirkwood. And I think you're at Stony Fort when Malbeth first. Or Bjorn's Hall. I think you, they ran into Bjorn's you. Bjorn was like, here's some people right. that are also here. As guys, uh, I don't know if I did that introduction very well. So, yeah, so he was a relatively late addition. And from that kind of background of, of being being there to wonder and, and gain experience, just kind of slotted in with the, the party and was had some initial ideas about heading to Dale or the, the Woodland Realm or something like that, but not very well formed. And then he travelled with the party, but things kind of got, took an interesting turn in the Gladden Fields escapade. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, um, yeah, there, there was, um, Malbeth underwent some, some bad times. Um, <laughs> very bad times. Um, so at the Battle of Stony Ford, Malbeth did uh, classic. And I think was, this was actually Malbeth's first appearance where he'd come with some reinforcements for the beleaguered Stony Ford. And then, you know, we all participated in the big battle. Um, unfortunately, Malbeth was then knocked unconscious by a ring wraith <laughs> and unceremoniously dragged away to the ring wraith's lair in the Dwimmer Horn. I was, so I remember the moment that I was trying to hold off the Ringwraith to give everyone else time to flee into the hole for a last stand. And um, uh, didn't have the durability. Yeah, you did it. a lot of damage, but yeah, the, the Ringwraiths have some abilities which are fairly powerful at, lo- at lower levels in particular. And I think it uses black breath or something it's called and just made you unconscious yeah. uh, when you had enough corruption points. And I think you'd done your royalty on un- revealed. So I guess it was as that moment, I was like, would they, would they just kill him or would they take him away and try and turn him into a wraith? And I, I thought actually given your power and like, recognize that royalty in you, that it potentially would try and corrupt you in some way. And so sort of ruled that it would mm. take you away. So that, escapade at uh, Stony Ford led to the major next section of the campaign, which was Rescue Melbeth. Yep. Yeah, you you ended up having an alternative character, didn't you? I did. Yes. I, yeah, I had a... Um, Bjorning? I think it might have been a Bjorning called Ansevald, who was, who was <laughs> great fun to play um, he was a very simple character in that he was someone who had been previously a brigand and was still, in his heart of hearts, a brigand, but also quite like cooking. Yeah, there's so <laughs> much rolling about food. Um, he was brilliant. Maybe we'll talk about him in a mini episode in the future. So so having to rescue Malbeth was a big, big part, and that was you know tied into Saruman and what was going on in the Gladden Fields, and there was a lot of darkness. And I, I guess it sort of affected Malbeth quite a bit, didn't he? Because he ended up with, I think, a permanent shadow point following that. He ended up with a permanent shadow point, but it also led to one of, I 
one of my favourite Maldeth moments, which was he came back, they rescued him uh, from the Dunmore and, um, and brought him back to Stony Ford. And we were all enjoying a lovely fellowship phase. And then <laughs> it turned out that Malbeth had been bewitched by the Ringwraith with an instruction to burn down Stony Ford. Oh, yeah. I remember this. I think that's a rule. So again, like that's one of the ring race rules that they have. Correct me if I'm wrong, Brendan. But they they have this ability. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's really cool. It, I think it's um, is it the black shadow or black breath or something? Basically, if they spend enough time with someone, they can get them to do something. And that person is they're a little bit like a sleeper agent in that they're they're a bit off. They're a bit unhappy. They know that something's not right but they can't really articulate what it is until it all kind of comes out in the wash. And then, um, but it was another another classic moment of Callum and I conspiring yeah. away from the rest of you guys. Um, so I knew that I was going to set fire to Sony Ford midway through your fellowship phase. <laughs> um, and do you know what? I spent a lot of time thinking about the most effective way to burn down Stony Ford. And I was... Slightly peeved, Callum, that you you made it easy for them to get out. <laughs> I don't remember it being that easy, if I'm honest. Yeah, like, they I, I feel it was pretty roles. stressful. It was, and... I um, I I was doing my best to set an encircling fire. I think it was pretty <laughs> terrifying for them. Like I, I think everyone was a bit like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, as a session, bear when we were in the fellowship phase, so it was like a kind of like slightly slower pace role playing type moment, and then, bam the village that we ourselves were busy building was on fire. Yeah. And um, it led to some major character schisms. There were several people in the party who didn't trust Malbeth for a while after that. Yes, great role play. <laughs> yeah. So that was it. That was fun. And then um, after that, we'd gone uh, eastwards through Mercury to Dale, which was starting to be the point where I was coming less and less regularly. The you guys were still playing on a very, very regular basis. So Malvest started kind of dropping in and out much more, um, but included a memorable a memorable kind of game that Calm and I did about what, what Malbeth was doing during his adventures on his own, which was basically we'd come to um, Eskaros and we'd been ambushed by some, some bandits and Malbeth had chased them into the, the underside of the city for two, two days, something like that. Yeah. Um, which was during a, a kind of a, an adventure that we were all on. And then after that ended and you all went on your separate ways, Malbeth went back to hunt them down, which included a solitary kind of journey around the Long Lake to find their, uh, oh, really? their hideout and um, ended up taking them out. I love it. At that time in my head, I really had Malbeth you know, wearing a, a black cloak, mysterious, coming and going. In my head was like Batman in, in Lake Town and was just there like, you know, the silent guardian watching, 
enforcing the law as a vigilante. So the idea that you went into the like undercity to chase these brigands away is very. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I never like directly said that to the party, but there was like rumors or hints, like discussions of of, yeah. of things happening, and it was quite like a nice way to keep him connected to the to the story when when you weren't able to be there, and then also like to to justify how he would know to turn up to certain situations because he had his ear to the ground and was around and and helping in a way, but probably more effective individually a lot of the time, being so stealthy and. Uh, deadly i guess i think it kind of it um it did a lot to kind of generate an aura which i think remained for the rest of the campaign that when i wasn't there it was because malbeth was doing something yes definitely we always assumed you were doing important things that were changing the world in some way which was which was nice which was good and it kind of um I, I suppose the thing that I liked about it was it gave a life to the character, even in times when I, I couldn't make it along to session. Yeah, which was good. It was, uh, yeah, I think I quite liked trying to get into players' headspaces and role playing their characters for them when they weren't there and like not doing much. But Malbeth was quite a quiet character anyway. So mm. coming out with like lines or just thinking about like what would he say in the situation, um, <laughs> usually something quite serious and, um, uh, maybe a little bit bleak at points as well, given how much darkness he'd seen. Mm. But uh, yeah, he was a great character to to have along and as a tool to to bring in that sort of connect uh, the party to to the land. Then we had a phase of Malwith kind of appearing and disappearing. The the big battle with the men of the the south, the mysterious uh, raiders, um, which was again. Uh, it was it was really good in terms of getting to use that royalty revealed ability. We were getting overwhelmed by these, you know, uh, black Numenorean type men. Yeah, really. Umbar- Umbarians, I guess. Yeah, and um, that they were mounted, and it was really they slightly outnumbered us, but they were also just putting up a very good fight. And so, getting them to flee or getting a proportion of them to flee for a while meant that the numbers were suddenly much more manageable for us so we totally turned the tide you know it was it was really nice to come in and then kind of feel like you're doing a useful role for the party and then obviously the next big big thing was was gundabad mm. yeah the party knew they needed to go to gundabad to rescue someone uh and malbeth um I think it was quite late notice that we like I managed to get you into the game and you just caught up with mm. them like very close to the entrance to Gundabad. <laughs> it's just a running job yeah. that you'd sort of been following them and made up ground and somehow managed to find them. And then we're there consistently the whole way through that part of the campaign and then to the end when when Malbeth is retiring. So it was a really nice way for him to to send off as this like integral part mm. and the skills that you brought in and um some really clutch moments in there the one where you uh can interject yourself in. yeah that was yeah so this was when um uh, baronor was captive and we just found him and the it was one of the the umbarians was about to to, to kill him effectively or at least that's what it yeah. looked like yeah halmir's uncle who had been the the source of a, of a 20 30 session long quest and he was just about to be murdered by this NPC who was like, well, I'm not going to live, so I better get rid of this guy. And wow, 
Malbeth, who is on zero hit points. Thanks, <laughs> um, I use my my kind of ability to, to interject and if it hadn't been for the actions of one other character, Malbeth would have, uh, you know, been may have died himself there as well. But yeah, it was it yeah. felt like a really good. Bert, yeah, Bert's um, character Dior and then rolled two natural twenties at disadvantage to kill the the character, and he need he just got the damage in. Like I think it was like one point above the damage he needed to to to, to stop this NPC. It was the most clutch moment in any game I've ever seen. It was absolutely amazing. The whole combination of everything, because it was like you say, it was like thirty sessions long quest. Effectively, for my character, was to find his uncle who was here in front of us, about to die. Malveth, knowing that you as Brenda were like, well, he's on zero hit points. I can impose interpose myself and will almost certainly die. We didn't have any healing. Like if you died, you pretty much weren't coming back. And you made that sacrifice. You were like, yep, this is what Malveth would do. Play the character. He would sacrifice himself. And but for two natural twenties at disadvantage, <laughs> Malveth would have been dead. Amazing moment. Um, um, yeah. yeah, it was amazing. And I'm very glad for those natural twenties because then uh, obviously we had some fun role play getting out of Gundabad. <laughs> yes. Um, so maybe talking about, like, you know, we've got through arc and we'll come on to some other favourite Malbeth moments. Is there anything that you would have done differently in hindsight in creating Malbeth? I, mean, I think just the things that we'd already talked about, about kind of, again, it was when the, we were we were all quite new to the game, but thinking about how the, the background would tie into the story, I think that I'd picked known lands on the basis of what I thought was good characterization, but I think maybe more of a balance between characterization and and kind of gameplay. I do have a question for you, and this is the important question: Does Malbeth know why Lake Town is called Lake Town? Does he? Does Malbeth know why that Lake Town is a town on a lake? I mean, if you're not sure, that's fine. We've been asking all our guests to get to the bottom of this. It, it remains our outstanding mystery here in Middle Earth. <laughs> I'm not sure that I understand this mystery. Is Lake Town not called Lake Town because it's a town on a lake? Oh, you might be onto something. Yeah. <laughs> I need to write this one down. <laughs> right, while I write this down, let me ask my other real question, which is um, <laughs> if what advice you would have for you know, anyone who's listening who wants to make a Dunedain wanderer, something in that kind of area, any kind of key piece of advice that you learned from playing and creating Malbeth? I think, I mean, I think I probably have a, have a couple of pieces of advice. I think that it is, it is really satisfying playing the classic um, ranger wild version of the Dunedain. But I would say that not to be afraid to try other character formats. I think there's, although I said at the start that the Dunedain is is maybe a bit more limited in terms of the background, that actually I think that it would work quite well for a number of different classes and that you could probably play them in quite a, a reasonable variety of ways you know, um, kind of a scholarly historian. But thinking of that more as an, uh, a kind of an interest or something that contributes to the, to the people. I, beyond that, I think that, that sometimes kind of 
the to think about how the character is going to be in not just in kind of gameplay style and in the background, but also from an RP uh, perspective. The um, I think Malbeth was really really fun to play and really interesting to play in those kind of high tension scenarios. Mm-hmm. But he was quite a stoic character. And what that meant was in RP sessions, I didn't say very much because I sat, sat there being stoic. <laughs> <laughs> and so that one of my favorite Malbeth moments was the final Malbeth session in Rivendell, where for the first time in the entire campaign, Malbeth was relaxed. And so me playing Malbeth, I could talk. <laughs> And did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy the sort of outro for Malbeth at Rivendell relaxed? I remember you said that you were in much, you know, you, you're in different clothes and everyone was kind of cleaned up being in Rivendell, having wandered through Angmar. Yeah, I thought it was was good. And I, I, I can't, well, I hoped at least that it would kind of, I was, I suppose my concern about the, the stoicism is that it, and my worry was that it made Malbeth seem a bit one-dimensional. And I, I suppose that it was satisfying to be able to, to kind of do that as a different part of the character, just because in my mind, there was more to Malbeth than just, yeah. than just hunting down criminals under Lake Town. Um, he got pretty close to that lake. Um, <laughs> So yeah, hunting down criminals under Lake Town or arriving to uh, to to save the party from certain doom, and so it was nice to to kind of be able to to do that. Shall we finish on some favourite moments from from all of us? I will perhaps go first on one that you you elaborated on a little bit, but it was a session when we'd spent a bit of time in the um, without Malbeth. You hadn't been with us at this point. Um, in the, the East Bight and the, the east of Mirkwood, we've been investigating. We got the sense that there was sort of trouble nearby, and we as the party were heading back to the crossing of Kelduin. Um, it was there, heading there, sensing there might be trouble, that we encountered you telling us that there was trouble ahead and that the uh, Umbarians, who had kind of been on our trail for quite a long time, had caught wind of us and were imminently coming upon us and they were on horseback and we were on foot we had a really good session where you got to kind of come in and started the session by telling us this drama and there was a kind of swift bit of planning between us all you know what we're going to do and our, our decision and I think Calm, you maybe either used a timer or you certainly you know encouraged us to act quickly urgently we decided what we do is flee to the eaves of the forest and try and get to the forest which we knew is dangerous, but that with horses, they wouldn't be able to pursue us really. Uh, and there was this sort of dramatic chase scene and they caught us just at the, the eaves of the forest, these men riding us down on these huge horses. And when you then used your royalty revealed and glowar and your sword, it was just such a cool moment. It felt great that you'd got to visit us just for like one session. I think you hadn't been in for a while. So it was good that you were playing. It was just so cinematic. I was getting charged down by these horses who you had alerted us to, and then you were the one to, to kind of save the day. And if it, if you hadn't been there at all, they we definitely would have been killed by the Umbarians. So that was one of my favourite. I think it encapsulated Malbus kind of like protecting and there at the right moment sense. 
I was going to say the same moments, but I think a close second would have been just the bravery of which Malbeth stood down a ring wraith and it didn't go well for him, but it was, it was just a great moment. Like it had been a really tense battle. Everyone was injured. Malbeth was probably doing the best out of everybody. And for a moment I was like, maybe he can do it. And then I think there was, it was basically a, you know, saving throw that if you fail, you just went unconscious and it was, it was over quite quickly. Um, but uh, we'll talk about, Ring Wraith profiles, I'm sure, in a, in a future episode, um, and and uh, our thoughts on them. But uh, yes, that 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 moment with the ranger stepping forward and saying, "No, I'm I'm going to stand," and this is a a fouler thing than than just an orc. But I, this is this is a role that I can take up, um, and maybe Malbeth takes away from that and reflects on that experience when he's off working in Angmar as his his role as the warden of Angmar in the frozen wastes. I really enjoyed both of those moments and actually kind of going through the character arc reminds me of the, the several times in Malva's character arc where, you know, I, I had the opportunity to or get Malbeth to, to interpose himself in a way that was really quite dangerous <laughs> in order to, to try and feel like he was doing right by the party. Um, so I was quite pleased with that. I have to say that my favourite moment was actually burning down stone. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <I> suppose <laughs> it was just, I think that in part, it was because it was so unexpected. I mean, I think the other part <laughs> yes. of it is that I actually quite like playing villains and uh, secret, secret agendas are really fun. And, you know, as Calm said, I, I have enjoyed DMing this game as well, although that happened after, but I, I quite like that sort of creating the peril. But it was also something about it is very much the an antithesis of Malbeth's character. Malbeth is is all about protecting people, even at kind of the cost of dying. And to just that one session where I'm like, I'm actually just gonna kill you all. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's going to danger everything. Yeah, you barricaded the hall and set it on fire. And roll inside. I yep. barricaded the hall yep. and then set fire outside the barricaded door. It was terrifying as players. Like we were in a really like, I think a, quite a good role play kind of mode fellowship phase, and then it was just we just went into this moment where we needed to roll dice, and Callum's whole like demeanor changed. It was like the hall's on fire. <laughs> what is happening? Brilliant. Was a good session. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Sorry that we gave your secret name away, Harefoot. Um, I don't think we've used the name Harefoot oh, yeah. more than maybe once or twice in this entire session. No, uh, I mean, very inconsistent. <laughs> Everyone, don't call me Malbeth in front of other people. It's uh, I'm being pursued. Okay, whatever you say, Malbeth. Have you met our friend Malbeth? That's Malbeth over there. <laughs> I think it was like every time we met a new person, we were like, oh, let's introduce the party. <laughs> this is Malbeth. Let's and tell then, you everything about him. And then when we're on our own, we're like, Malbeth, no, it's Harefoot, isn't it? It's sort of famous, like, Baggins. Yes, I know a Baggins. Frodo Baggins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, seemed to have gotten away with it because he survived. I mean, no, he survives. Uh, later on because he was in that one shot so it's canon in our game now yeah uh, well thanks for joining us uh, Malbeth Brendan 
thank you, you for having me. Yes. And that's that's us for today. Goodbye. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> what do we normally say? I can't remember. The, the road goes ever on and on. No. Uh, traps win games. Traps wins games. <laughs>